to my podcast pod tunes is the perfect way to fall asleep while listening to the best horror history and true crime stories this podcast is presented by bed temporis bedtime stories that will keep you up at night if you want to hear your story featured on my podcast email me at mypodtune at gmail.com that's spelled m-y-p-o-d-t-u-n-e at gmail.com This episode includes murder, sexual assault, abuse of minors, rape, and explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Richard Ramirez was born on February 29, 1960, in El Paso, Texas. He was the youngest of five children born to Mexican immigrants. When Richard's mother was pregnant, she was employed at a boot factory where she was exposed to chemical fumes. All of his siblings had birth defects, ranging from respiratory issues to bone deformities. From a very young age, Richard sustained multiple head injuries during his early childhood, beginning at age two when a dresser fell on his head, causing a large forehead laceration. A couple years later, after a particular incident with a swing, Richard was knocked unconscious and shortly after he began experiencing epileptic fits. Richard's father, Julian, was a heavy drinker. The alcohol would send him into fits of rage and led him to physically abuse Richard and his siblings. To escape his father's abuse, Richard would flee his home and sleep in local cemeteries. As an adolescent, Richard was heavily influenced by his older cousin, Miguel Ramirez, who was a Vietnam War veteran. They often smoked marijuana together as they would discuss the torture and mutilation Miguel had inflicted on several Vietnamese women, backing his stories with Polaroid pictures of explicit images showing Vietnamese women bound to trees and rope before Miguel raped and decapitated them with a machete. In some of the photos, Miguel posed with the severed heads. In addition to showing the horrific images, Miguel taught Richard some of his military skills that he later used during his year-long killing spree. We want to take a moment to speak out about anti-Asian hate crimes and list a few resources for our listeners. Asian American directed hate crimes have increased in all but two among some of the largest U.S. cities. Hate against Asian American Pacific Islander communities have risen during the COVID-19 pandemic. We will leave a link in the episode notes to better understand and support Asian communities around us. To report an anti-Asian hate incident or learn more about what you can do to help, visit stopaapihate.org to obtain a guide on how to report hate crimes in California or New York written in Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Spanish, and Thai or Vietnamese. Visit www.hatecrimebook.com to better understand the experience of AAPI individuals facing anti-Asian hate during the pandemic. Read first-hand accounts at www.standagainsthatred.org. The following year, Ramirez witnessed his cousin fatally shoot his wife during a heated argument. Like the graphic photos and stories of his cousin's war crimes in Vietnam, Richard Ramirez would later remark while in prison that seeing this event unfold wasn't traumatic for him in any traditional sense, but rather witnessing a violent death for the first time had deeply fascinated him. After the shooting, Richard became sullen and withdrawn from his family and peers. Richard moved in with his older sister, Ruth, who at the time lived with her husband, Roberto. Roberto was 
known to be a peeping Tom who took Richard along on his nocturnal exploits. Richard's cousin, Miguel, was not found guilty of his wife's murder by reason of insanity, largely thought to be due to his presumed severe wartime PTSD from his time in Vietnam, and was released in 1977. His influence over Richard continued, and it's known that Miguel would continue to bond with Richard over a shared use of drugs and alcohol. Miguel would occasionally accompany Richard and Roberto on their nighttime walks where they would spy on women without their knowledge by peeping through their windows. Sometime in the eighth grade, when Richard was approximately 14, he began using LSD and cultivated a strong interest in Satanism, as well as joining his sexual fantasies with violence, including forced bondage and rape. While still in school, he took a job at a local Holiday Inn where he used his pass key to rob sleeping patrons. On at least one occasion, Ramirez sexually fondled and molested two children in an elevator at the hotel, but was never reported or prosecuted for this act. His employment ended abruptly after Ramirez attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room before her husband returned to find them. Although the husband beat Ramirez senseless at the scene, criminal charges were dropped when the couple, who lived out of state, declined to return to testify against him. Ramirez dropped out of Jefferson High School in the ninth grade. At the age of 22, he moved to California, where he settled permanently. On April 10, 1984, Ramirez murdered nine-year-old Chinese-American girl Mei Leung in the basement of the apartment building where he was living at the time in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. Leung was with her eight-year-old brother when she reportedly lost a one-dollar bill and went to look for it. When Ramirez approached Leung and told the girl he knew where it was and to follow him to the basement, the child agreed and once they were in the basement, Ramirez beat, strangled, and raped Leung before stabbing her to death with a switchblade and hanging her partially nude body from a pipe by her louse. This was Ramirez's first known killing and was not identified as being connected to his subsequent night stalker crime spree until 2009 when Ramirez's DNA was matched to a sample obtained at this crime scene. In 2016, officials disclosed evidence of a second suspect identified through the DNA sample retrieved from the scene who is believed to have been present at Leung's murder. Authorities have not publicly identified the suspect described as being juvenile at the time and have not brought charges due to the lack of evidence. The crime wasn't likely connected to Ramirez initially because it didn't seem to fit the same pattern as the rest of his known subsequent murders. The rest of Ramirez's known homicides usually involved him breaking into a home to kill or shooting someone who was in a car on the freeway after stopping them while Leung was lured to the basement to be killed. On June 28, 1984, 79-year-old Jenny Vinco was found brutally murdered in her apartment in Glassell Park, Los Angeles. She had been stabbed repeatedly in the head, neck, and chest while asleep in her bed and her throat slashed so deeply that she was nearly decapitated. Ramirez's fingerprint was found on a mesh screen he removed to gain access through an open window. This was Ramirez's second known murder, and it would go on to establish his pattern of breaking into homes, committing particularly vicious murders, and frequently burglarizing his victims either before or after killing them, which was mainly to support his cocaine addiction and to pay his rent. On March 17, 1985, Ramirez attacked 22-year-old Maria Hernandez outside her home in Rosemead, California, shooting her in the face with a 22 caliber handgun after she pulled into her garage. She survived when the bullet ricocheted off the keys she held in her hands as she lifted them to protect herself. Hernandez played dead until Ramirez left the scene. Inside the house, her roommate, Del Yoshi Aokazaki, age 34, heard the gunshot and ducked behind a counter when she saw Ramirez enter the kitchen. When she raised her head to get a look at what happened, Happened. 
He shot Alkazaki once in the forehead, killing her instantly. Within an hour of the Rosemead home invasion, Ramirez pulled a 30-year-old Sai Lian Yu out of her car in Monterey Park, shot her twice with a 22 caliber handgun, and fled. She was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital. The two murders, an attempted third in a single day, attracted extensive coverage from news media, who dubbed the attacker described as curly-haired with bulging eyes and wide-spaced, rotting teeth. The walk-in killer and the valley intruder. On March 27, 1985, Ramirez entered a home that he had burglarized a year earlier just outside of Whittier, California, at approximately 2 a.m. and killed the sleeping Vincent Charles Zazara, age 64, with a gunshot to his head from a 22 caliber handgun. Zazara's wife, Maxine Lavina Zazara, age 44, was awakened by the gunshot, and Ramirez beat her and bound her hands while demanding to know where her valuables were. While he ransacked the room, Maxine escaped her bonds and retrieved a shotgun from under the bed, which was not loaded. The infuriated Ramirez shot her three times with a 22, then fetched a large carving knife from the kitchen. He mutilated her body by stabbing her several times, then removed her eyes with the knife and placed them in a jewelry box, which he took when he left and kept at his apartment as a souvenir until his arrest. The autopsy determined mutilations were post-mortem. Vincent and Maxine's bodies were discovered by their son, Peter. Ramirez left footprints from a pair of Avia sneakers in the flower beds, which the police photographed and cast. This was virtually the only evidence that the police had at the time. Bullets found at the scene were matched to those found at previous attacks and the police determined that a serial killer was at large. On May 14, 1985, Ramirez returned to Monterey Park and entered the home of Bill Doy, age 66, and his disabled wife Lillian, age 56. Surprising Doy in his bedroom, Ramirez shot him in the face with a 22 semi-automatic pistol. As Doy went to reach for his own handgun, after beating the mortally wounded man into unconsciousness, Ramirez entered Lillian's bedroom, bound her with thumb cuffs, then raped her after he had ransacked the home for valuables. Bill died of his injuries while in the hospital. On the night of May 29, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen car to Monrovia and stopped at the house of Mabel Ma Bell, age 83, and her disabled sister, Florence Nettie Lang, age 81. Finding a hammer in the kitchen, he bludgeoned and bound Lang in her room, then bound and bludgeoned Bell before using an electrical cord to shock the woman. After raping Lang, he used Bell's lipstick to draw the satanic pentagram symbol on her thigh as well as on the walls of both bedrooms. The women were found two days later alive, but comatose, and critically injured. Bell later died of her injuries in the hospital. The next day, Ramirez drove the same car to Burbank and snuck into the home of Carol Kyle, age 42. At gunpoint, he bound Kyle and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs, then ransacked the house. He released Kyle to direct him to where the family's valuables were. He then raped her repeatedly. Ramirez also repeatedly ordered her not to look at him, telling her at one point that he would cut her eyes out. He fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together with the handcuffs. On the night of July 2nd, 1985, he drove a stolen car to Arcata and randomly selected the house of Mary Louise Cannon, age 75, a widowed grandmother. After quietly entering Cannon's home, he found her asleep in her bedroom and bludgeoned her into unconsciousness with a lamp, and then stabbed Cannon to death using a 10-inch butcher knife from her kitchen. Ramirez repeatedly stabbed Cannon's body after she was already dead. She was found dead at the scene. On July 5, 1985, Ramirez broke into a home in Sierra Madre and bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her bedroom. After searching in vain for a knife in the kitchen, Ramirez tried to strangle the girl with a 
telephone cord. He stated that he was startled to see electrical sparks emanate from the cord, and when his victim began to breathe, he fled the house believing that Jesus Christ had intervened and saved her. Bennett survived the savage beating and attempted strangulation, although 478 stitches were required to close the laceration to her scalp. On July 7, 1985, Ramirez burglarized the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson, age 60, in Monterey Park. Finding her asleep on her living room couch, he beat her to death by stomping on her face repeatedly. A shoe print from an Avia sneaker was left imprinted on her face. After cruising two other neighborhoods, he returned to Monterey Park and chose the home of Sophia Dickman, age 63. Ramirez assaulted and handcuffed Dickman at gunpoint, attempted to rape her, and stole her jewelry. When she swore to him that he had taken everything of value, he told her to swear on Satan. On July 20th, 1985, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. He chose the home of Leela Nighting, age 66, and her husband, Maxon, age 68. He burst into the sleeping couple's bedroom and hacked them with the machete, then killed them with shots to the head from a 22 caliber handgun. He further mutilated their bodies with the machete before robbing the houses of its valuables. After quickly fencing the stolen items from the Nighting residence, Ramirez Ramirez drove to Sunny Valley. At approximately 4.15 a.m., he broke into the home of the Covenant family. He shot the sleeping Chenirag Covenant in the head with a 25 caliber handgun, killing him instantly, then repeatedly raped and beat Samkid Covenant. He bound the couple's eight-year-old son before dragging Samkid around the house to reveal the location of any valuable items which he stole. During his assault, he demanded that she swear to Satan that she was not hiding any money from him. On August 6, 1985, Ramirez drove to Northridge and broke into the home of Chris and Virginia Peterson. He crept into the bedroom, startled Virginia, age 27, and shot her in the face with a 25 caliber semi-automatic handgun. He then shot Chris in the neck and attempted to flee. Chris fought back while avoiding being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Ramirez managed to escape. The couple survived their injuries. On August 8th, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen car to Diamond Bar, California, and chose the home of Sakina Abawa age 27 and her husband Elias Abawath, age 31. Sometime after 2.30 a.m., he entered the house and went into the master bedroom. He instantly killed the sleeping Elias with a shot to the head from a 25 caliber handgun. He handcuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family's jewelry and then brutally raped her. He repeatedly demanded that she swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. When the couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom, Ramirez tied the child up and continued to rape Sakina. After Ramirez left the home, Sakina untied her son and sent him to the neighbors for help. Ramirez, who had been following the media coverage of his crimes, left Los Angeles and headed to San Francisco. On August 18, 1985, he entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot the sleeping Peter, age 66, in the temple with a 25 caliber handgun, which killed him instantly. He then beat and sexually assaulted Barbara, age 62, before shooting her in the head and leaving her for dead. At the crime scene, Ramirez used lipstick to scrawl a pentagram and the phrase, Jack the Knife, on the bedroom wall. Ramirez again left a shoe print at the scene that detectives discovered and matched to a specific Avia shoe that wasn't common at the time. Upon detectives' discovery of the make and the U.S. distribution of Ramirez's Avia shoes, it was found that only six of them existed in the size 11 and a half, with five of them shipped to locations in Arizona and one shipped to a shoe store in Los Angeles. It was evident that the one pair of its size and kind in the state of California then belonged to Richard. When it was discovered that the ballistics and shoe print evidence from the Los Angeles crime scenes matched the pan crime scene. San Francisco's then mayor, Diane 
Feinstein divulged the information, including the gun caliber in a televised press conference. This leak infuriated the detectives in the case, as they knew the killer would be following media coverage, which gave him the opportunity to destroy crucial forensic evidence. Ramirez, who had indeed been watching the press, dropped his size, 11 and a half, Avia sneakers over the side of the Golden Gate Bridge at night. He remained in the area for a few more days before heading back to the Los Angeles area. On August 24th, 1985, Ramirez traveled 76 miles south of Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota to Mission Viejo. That night, he arrived at the home of James Romero Jr., who had just returned from a family vacation to Rosarito Beach in Mexico. Romero's son, 13-year-old James Romero III, happened to be awake and heard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. Thinking there was a prowler, James went to wake his parents and Ramirez fled the scene. James raced outside and noted the color, make, and style of the car, as well as a partial license plate number. Romero contacted the police with this information, believing James had chased away a thief. After this encounter, Ramirez broke into the house of Bill Carnes, age 30, and his fiancée, Inez Erickson, age 29, through a back door. Ramirez entered the sleeping couple's bedroom and awakened Carnes when he cocked his 25 caliber handgun. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention to Erickson. Ramirez told her that he was the night stalker and forced her to swear that she loved Satan as he beat her with his fists and bound her with neckties from the closet. After stealing what he could find, Ramirez dragged Erickson to another room before raping her. He then demanded cash and more jewelry, and made her swear on Satan that there was no more. Before leaving the home, Ramirez told Erickson to tell them the Night Stalker was here. Erickson untied herself and went to a neighbor's house to get help for her severely injured fiancé. Surgeons removed two of the three bullets from his head, and he survived the injuries. Erickson gave a detailed description of the assailant to the investigators, and police obtained a cast of Ramirez's footprint from the Romero house. The stolen car was found abandoned on August 28th in Wilshire Center, Los Angeles, and police obtained a single fingerprint from the rear view mirror, despite Ramirez's careful attempts to wipe the car clean of his prints. The print was positively identified as belonging to Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas with a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. On 29th of August, 1985, law enforcement officials decided to release a mugshot of Ramirez from a 1984 arrest for auto theft to the media and the Night Stalker finally had a face. At the police press conference, it was announced, quote, we know who you are now and soon everyone else will. There will be no place you can hide, end quote. On the night of June 27, 1985, 32-year-old Patty Elaine Higgins was murdered in her Arcadia home. The crime was not discovered until July 2nd when she did not show up for work. Her attacker had sodomized her, strangled her, and slashed her throat. Ramirez was charged with murder and burglary in relation to Higgins' murder. However, the charges against him in this case were eventually dropped due to a lack of concrete physical evidence linking the Higgins murder to the Night Stalker crimes. Given that Ramirez bragged to other inmates about having killed more than 20 people while incarcerated, and the fact that it took 25 years to connect him to the April 1984 rape and murder of the nine-year-old Leung in San Francisco, it is possible that Richard Ramirez committed more murders than the 15 homicides that investigator and the 
public are currently aware of, and that these other killings simply have yet to be conclusively linked to Ramirez. However, likely this currently remains unknown and has yet to be definitively proven. On August 30th, 1985, Ramirez took a bus to Tucson, Arizona to visit his brother, unaware that he had become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper and television news program across California. After failing to meet his brother, he returned to Los Angeles early morning of August 31st. He walked past police officers who were staking out the bus terminal in hopes of catching the killer should he attempt to flee on an outbound bus and into a convenience store in East Los Angeles. After noticing a group of elderly Hispanic women fearfully identifying him as El Matador, literally meaning the killer in Spanish, Ramirez saw his face on the front pages on the newspaper rack and fled the store in a panic. After running across the Santa Ana freeway, he attempted to carjack a woman, but was chased away by bystanders who pursued him. After hopping over several fences and attempting two more carjackings, he was eventually subdued by a group of residents, one whom had struck him over the head with a fence post in the pursuit. The group of enraged citizens held Ramirez down and relentlessly beat him until the police arrived and took him into custody. Jury selection for the trial began on July 22, 1988. At his first court appearance, Ramirez raised a hand with a pentagram drawn on it and yelled, Hail Satan. On August 3, 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Ramirez planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun, which Ramirez intended to have smuggled into the courtroom. Consequently, a metal detector was installed outside and intensive searches were conducted on people entering. On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because of one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, did not arrive at the courtroom. Later that day, she was found to be shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified, wondering if Ramirez had somehow directed this event from inside his prison cell, and whether or not he could reach the other jurors. However, it was ultimately decided that Ramirez was not responsible for Singletary's death, as she was shot and killed by her boyfriend, who later committed suicide with the same weapon in a hotel. The alternate juror who replaced Singletary was too frightened to return to her home. On September 20th, 1989, Ramirez was convicted on all charges, 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. During the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th, 1989, he was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. He stated to reporters after the death sentences, quote, big deal, death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland, end quote. The trial cost $1.8 million, which at the time made it the most expensive in the history of California until surpassed by the O.J. Simpson murder case in 1994. By the time of the trial, Ramirez had fans who were writing him letters and paying him visits. Beginning in 1985, Doreen Leoy wrote him nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. In 1988, Ramirez proposed to Leoy, and on October 3, 1996, they were married in California's San Quentin State Prison. For many years before Ramirez's death, Leoy stated that she would commit suicide when Ramirez was executed. However, Leoy eventually left Ramirez in 2009 after DNA confirmed he had raped and murdered the nine-year-old Leon. By the time of his death in 2013, Ramirez was engaged to Christine Lee, a 23-year-old writer. On August 7, 2006, Ramirez's first round of state appeals ended unsuccessfully when the California Supreme Court upheld his convictions and death sentence. On September 7, 2006, the California Supreme Court denied his request for a rehearing. Ramirez had additional appeals pending until the time of his death. Psychiatrist Michael H. Stone describes Ramirez as a made 
psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. He says that Ramirez's schizoid personality disorder contributed to his indifference to the suffering of his victims and his untreatability. Stone also stated that Ramirez was knocked unconscious and almost died on multiple occasions before he was six years old, and as a result, later developed temporal lobe epilepsy, aggressivity, and hypersexuality. Ramirez died of complications secondary to B-cell lymphoma at Marin General Hospital in Greenbrae, California on June 7, 2013. He had also been affected by chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C viral infection. At 53 years old, he had been on death row for more than 23 years. By some estimates, he would have been in his early 70s before his execution was carried out due to California's lengthy appeals process. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podtoon. Podtoons is updated on a weekly basis, so be sure to tune in next week.